Hello everyone, my name is James Ford and this is The Pragmatic Investor. My guest today is Michael Wiggins, regular on the show, and I thought I'd have him on today to talk a little bit about the tech earnings. So we began today by discussing some of the tech earnings we've seen so far, general thoughts, and also diving a little bit more into the Google earnings and also the SoFi earnings. Now, moving on from there, we also talked a little bit about the outlook for inflation and how this is affecting commodities like oil, which, of course, has been on a great rally. And, of course, natural gas, which is both Michael and I's one of our favorite uh, commodities and investments. So we discussed a couple of different um, companies there and investment opportunities. Now, before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to remind you guys that if you're listening to this on Spotify, you can go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and get access to my exclusive weekly videos, okay? It's $8.99 and basically every week you will receive my weekend report. You may have already seen a few that I did over the last month. So if you enjoyed them and you would like to support me, go ahead and subscribe. And with that said, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Welcome once again to the show, Michael Wiggins. Um, thank you once again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to come back. I'm very excited. We're in the middle of earnings season right now. So uh, I'm predominantly a small cap kind of guy. So for me, it's really kind of just getting started. You know, and I know that for a lot of larger uh, in, uh, hedge funds and the family offices, they predominantly invest in the mega caps. So for them, it's kind of they already got a lot of granularity. Uh, but for, for me, as a, as a small cap kind of guy, I'm very much more interested in the small caps. That being said, I very much believe in the need for diversification. So I'm also kind of invested in Google that we're going to later on talk about. Um, I'm also investing in some, uh, some other uh, lar- fairly large company like Palo Alto Networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I very much believe in the need for uh, diversification. And I'll just kind of explain in like two seconds what my my general idea of investing is. So mm-hmm. as deep value investor, deep value return members know, I'm very much a diversified portfolio kind of person. That does not mean that I have a lot of stocks. I only have 16 stocks in my portfolio, but I have different concepts, different ideas, because ultimately investing is not so much about figuring out something better than anyone else. It's really by having staying power. And by having a diversified portfolio of ideas, you're able to withstand the vicissitudes in the market. So when things are not going your way, for example, later on in the conversation, we'll hopefully talk about um, energy, when things are not really going your way, by having different ideas in the portfolio, you're able to stay invested in the market. Because as we've seen since the start of, let's say, really the back end of May into August right now, there's been a re-rating in stocks, predominantly really long duration assets, typically these involve um, tech companies, Mm -hmm. but no one would have known that, right? So you can't really predict when there's gonna be mass flows one way or another, but by having a portfolio with different ideas, some energy, some dividends, some tech stocks, you're able to stay invested in the market. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's really what I'm kind of thinking about. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know. Now. We did kick off earnings season a couple of weeks ago or last week. We had a we began with Tesla earnings. I know that you know market went down. Investors mm-hmm. quite disappointed with that. 
you know, I thought that was going to kind of set the tone a little bit for the rest of the uh, tech stocks, you know, really kind of thinking that maybe, you know, as, you know, Nasdaq's approaching all-time highs, you know, the tech, the AI narrative is kind of exhausting, but, you know, that's not exactly what we've seen, right? I mean, at the very least, we've seen a bit of a mixed bag. A good example of this is Google, which actually kind of, you know, beat expectations and really kind of finally, you know, uh, you know, after mentioning AI a hundred times mm-hmm. in their last two earnings calls, kind of finally got that little bit of an AI bid. And I mean, Google's a company that I love, so, you know, uh, I've always been behind it. So, um, but tell us a little bit about what you thought about the Google earnings. What exactly were you looking for? Uh, what do you think investors uh, liked about the recent earnings? So for me, uh, I'm a new investor to Google and I, it's a company, obviously, like everyone else, you know, I follow this very intently for many, many, many years. And uh, it's not the first time that I've invested in Google, uh, but what made a difference this time around is I follow a lot of tech companies and, you know, it hasn't passed anyone's mind that the whole AI movement is what is leading towards, let's call it, how you discover something quicker, okay? So, for example, uh, the way the search operates, you kind of go and you kind of go on on a navigation, on a a discovery. Discoverability is a term. Uh, You kind of go and you search, like, what kind of holiday shall I have? And you kind of read some blogs and you spend a lot of time. And the longer you spend mm-hmm. on that discoverability, on that on that trend towards uh, finding out your answer, the more ads you can see and the, the more content that you're going to be seeing, the more engaged that you are. Mm-hmm. So that is the business model of search. And what AI is trying to get you is to find you the answer as quick as possible. Okay. So um, if you get the answer, okay, you should go because... Let's pretend I'm I'm, I'm I'm providing an example. It's not really, really true. But let's say, okay, Michael, you know, you're the kind of person that likes warm weather. You want to go to Turkey next week, catch a flight, and everything is organized for you because mm-hmm. they know the type of person that I am. And that, you know, you don't need a lot of search. You kind of just, you just go to the answer. So that's the findability. And what um, Alphabet is trying to uh, ex- explain to, to investors, and it's not, only about name dropping i think that the market is able you know i believe that the market is actually more intelligent and more measured than a lot of investors think so i'm Mm -hmm. a value guy and the definition of value guy is often that the market is wrong and i'm trying to figure out why the market is right but i'm actually of the opposite opinion i actually believe more often than not the market is right okay Mm -hmm. that more often than not is as buffett calls it the difference between night and day okay so it can be nearly right, but not quite right. So um, that's where you know our work comes in. Mm-hmm. Now, what uh, what the market saw here is the idea, and I'll come to the financials in a minute. But it's the idea that it can coexist the search and the uh, the AI aspect of it, the the findability. So the market has been seen that okay. It's one thing to put out a narrative. Everyone can put out a narrative. You know, these are mega cap companies, highly followed. It's it's not just about putting like a little jazzy narrative and everyone's going to kind of wish it away. You know, they really need to put out the numbers. And the the results from the ad, you know, ad is about 80% of what Google makes. The advertising business was very, very strong. And people Mm -hmm. were like, oh, whoa, 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 hold up. Like, maybe it's the case that advertising is making a comeback and maybe... This whole idea that uh, we were going to go into recession might not be happening because remember, 
uh, advertising is a leading indicator of mm -hmm. what businesses are trying to do. So if you're a business and you want to get a customer in through the door, you need to spend in advertising. Okay. So that is the, the first part of the business is to try and get the customer in. So it's a leading indicator and that leading um, spend goes towards uh, Alphabet's revenues. So market is saying, okay, you know, hold up. It, it could be possible that we may have been overreacting that advertising is actually stronger than um, stronger than we previously felt. And it may be possible that we don't need to know the answer whether AI and search are mutually exclusive. So it could be something that they can coexist. So in that environment, everyone's thinking to themselves, okay, this is a mega cap company. It's mm -hmm. a leader in advertising. It looks to be growing. You know, they obviously they're buying back a lot of shares, uh, which mm -hmm. uh, bolsters up the, the, the number of earnings per share, but it could be growing over the next 12 months at a 15% compounded annual growth rate. And if that is the case, paying approximately 23, 24 times forward earnings isn't such a bad bet. After all, mm -hmm. you know, it's not the kind of stock that's going to implode on you overnight. So you're paying a premium mm -hmm. for the fact that you have some visibility there. You're paying a premium for a very well-managed company, nicely diversified. And on top of all this, you have a business that has some potential to reinvest that cash on its balance sheet to do something. Now, here's the thing, right? Let's let's just I'll just be upfront mm -hmm. and honest. Historically, Alphabet has been very poor at finding out new areas to invest in. Okay. Mm -hmm. I get that. You know, that's 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 the fact of the matter. But then I would say, listen, there's a bit of uh, truth to that, but you know, um what is the expression that uh, um I, I read this in a book recently that uh, a half truth goes all around the world before the, the actual truth is getting the boots on. So <laughs> it's basically not completely accurate because you look at something, let's say Google Maps, that right. is something that they, they were able to do. So mm -hmm. maybe it's not 100% true. They obviously acquired YouTube. So, you know, it's not 100% like people are saying, oh, you know, they, mm -hmm. they, they invested a lot in their phones and their phones didn't really work. Yeah, you know, Amazon has also done a lot of investments into the phone industry, and now it's just a very difficult nut to crack. So, yes, historically, they've not been able to reinvest into something, but that does not necessarily mean that they won't be able to do it going forward. And I'll just add one final example. Google was one of the last ones to come into this whole cloud um, data storage uh, uh, sector. They were one mm -hmm. of the last ones. So, uh, um, Amazon came in, like, I don't know if it's 2007, that ballpark, and then like three or four years later, um, Microsoft woke up, and then IBM, and then Google was like, oh, okay, let's let's do that. And they've gone from basically being like the last kid on the block to really kind of growing really, really fast. In fact, this quarter right now, Q2 2023, Alphabet's um, Google Cloud platform was up 28% year over year, mm. which is... It's faster than um, Azure, which is up 26% year over year. We don't have the numbers right now for AWS. That reports tomorrow night, but I'm very much inclined to believe that uh, AWS wouldn't go much about above 26% year over year in growth. So mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes, the people that were the last on the block are actually taking market share from these giants. So, you know, yes, 
they have historically not been able to reinvest that capital, but I just provided an example of Google Cloud that they were the last ones in and they like do take market share. And I don't know it very much down to the user, but many users tend to like actually spending time on YouTube. Another example is Google Maps. So it, there's a bit more nuance to say that, uh, you know, that Google cannot really invent uh, new uh, revenue streams. So I just think that uh, it's an optionality. That, that balance sheet is an optionality, but mm -hmm. you're not really having to pay for that. That's just like, it, you may get it, you may not get it. Maybe something with uh, self-driving car surfaces, maybe something surfaces there, but you're not paying for that, right? That's not even the part of the question. So there are different ways to play this. And typically when I invest, I like to look for two catalysts. So one catalyst would be that the underlying businesses prospects are growing and you're not paying a lot for it. I'm a value investor by definition, but I'm also looking if possible, it's not always possible, but I'm also looking if possible to look for a second catalyst to ignite the story in one way and to lead to a re-rating. Because as an investor, the thing that you're really looking for is a change in perception, right? So you go from a business that is, let's say, people have a lot of question marks at Google, people have question marks, oh, can they coexist, this and that. So there's a bit of uncertainty. And once that uncertainty gets partially lifted, I'm not saying that it gets fully lifted, but it gets partially lifted over the next 12 months, there can be a reasonable amount of re-rating. One example that I can provide, that uh, a recent example that I can provide that shows this, you rewind the clock 12 months to Meta's results. I know I'm looking in hindsight and in hindsight, you everything you can say whatever story you want to say but it's you know this is a very well told story that 12 months ago uh, everyone was worried about the metaverse they were spending a lot of the money on the metaverse and that they're a mature business that they could not uh, ignite and they would they were not being focused enough disciplined enough and uh, mark zuckerberg came out yeah okay we're gonna have you know it's been well talked about the the year of efficiency yeah they were like yeah yeah year of efficiency yap 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 but when the quarters, second quarter comes out and the third quarter comes out and you actually see that transpire in the fundamentals, people are like, oh, you know what? Okay, I'm going to give this the benefit of the doubt. And that is the re-rating that I was talking about, that change in perception. That's really where uh, I think the upside will come in Google uh, over the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You make some very interesting points there. Of course, that you know recovery in ad spending that we did see, like you say, possibly an indicator that you know maybe the recession isn't coming, of course. You know, we could have a whole other conversation about this. I, I would say the jury is still out. I mean, um, you know, as I had to be a bit contrarian and just just when everyone's thinking that that nothing bad's going to happen, you know, that's that's when things hit, right? Um, but it's definitely going to be yeah, interesting. Yeah, for sure, we, for sure. We have a lot of a uh, kind of you could say at, least, at the very least conflicting data, a lot of strong data coming in GDP last week, for yeah. example. So yeah. anyway, it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting for sure. Um, and I also think I I agree with your point that you know. Historically, Google hasn't been that good at investing their money. I mean, if you look at, for example, some of the stuff they've done, but you know, more recently, I think they've they've really got some good things going on. And don't quote me on this, but I was reading somewhere that the Google Pixel actually has been doing quite well in Spain. I think, mm -hmm. which is where I'm mm -hmm. from. But don't quote me on this. I know that my mm -hmm. mother got it, and she she likes it anyway. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. And I also I think I also read an article recently about their TPUs which are basically their AI accelerators. I think that's also a very interesting area where, where Google's growing and potentially could compete with NVIDIA. But um, 
Yeah, absolutely. For me, I mean, Google also, in terms of the uh, the fangs, I think, like you said, it's probably one of the best valued. And they're, they're always putting that that cash back into share buybacks, which is always always good, like you say. Um, you're a value guy. So how do you think about the valuation, Google? You were saying, you know, that it's it's okay to pay 23 times earnings. Do you have like a pl- yeah. price target for Google? So uh, just just before we kind of discuss it, so uh, I will discuss about the price target. Uh, just, be, just momentarily, I think the biggest problem that investors have is that they have uh, inclination towards overcomplicating what is relatively simple. If mm. you say, this is the pitch, uh, there's the Bill Ackman joke story that the, the shorter the pitch that he gets on his desk, the more compelling it is and vice versa. Mm. Right. So, um, if it's a very simple pitch, I give often the example of um, when uh, Warren Buffett talks about the Coca-Cola pitch. His Coca-Cola pitch is just the number, uh, the volume of Coke being shipped out each year compared to the number of shares outstanding decreasing. As long as the volume is going up and the shares outstanding is going down, that's it. It's not more mm. complicated and it has worked out tremendously well, right? So we have an inclination as investors to kind of look for something jazzy, you know? And I understand that because, uh, we, you know, typically we're all very competitive and we all want to try and, you know, get an edge on someone else. But sometimes just what's relatively simple and straightforward also works. The other thing that I would say, I don't particularly put a price target in terms of when I invest. What I do do is I say, I'm not going to exit this position for a year. So for 12 months, Come hell or high water, I will stay in this and in, in the course. And the reason why I do that is that I make uh, I I say to people that you only know a business once you become the business owner. Okay. So the example that I provide is um, a person may be the biggest fan uh, of Apple. You may have all the gadgets and you may be really into Apple, but only when you bought a share of Apple do you really think as a business owner and you start thinking about okay, I wonder how much the services are going to make over the next quarter. I wonder how much they're going to make from apps. I want, And you start thinking a little bit more like that. And investing in Google for me is like that. You know, you, you can follow the company for as long as you want, but until you're the owner of um, a share of Google or whatever, uh, you only then can you really start thinking as the owner of the business. And you have a thesis, you have an idea of what the stock could do over the next year. But in the short period of time, let's say three, six months, a lot can happen in terms of news flow. And you can think, okay, I bought it at, let's say, X price. And then two months later, it's 10% cheaper. And you're like, oh, you know, um, I I didn't think about this or I didn't really think about that because I wasn't an owner of the business. So I make this this, this, this claim that I will not sell the, the, the business for 12 months. After 12 months, I've become the owner of that business. I've understood much more about the, the business because I'm in the driving seat and then I can reassess. And, you know, I could always say, okay, I think that the stock is going to go up, let's say X amount, but that's just, you know, uh, like reading through tea leaves. It doesn't really have uh, anything to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, you know, and I can definitely identify with your sentiment of, you know, oftentimes making things a little bit more complicated than they should be when like you say, you know, just just look at the business and and, and own it, no, a bit more more of the Warren Buffett style. So moving on from Google earnings, I also wanted to talk about a stock that you know really uh, 
let's say surprise investors or at the very least um you know gave us a very big uh jump in stock price which is a uh, sofi of course a, a business that i think is getting talked about a lot um so we saw sofi jump about 20 percent on earnings <clears throat> and you did write an article about about the company so i was just hoping you could share your thoughts on it so uh, i've been very bearish uh, on sofi uh for a while now i can't remember how long um and you know i'll be honest that admittedly this quarter i feel like it's kind of more of an interesting story than it has been for a really long time and mm -hmm. um, you know there's a lot of uh, kind of like everyone say oh you know the, the student debt program is coming up and like that's just that's already in the share price everyone's like oh you know starting 2024 it's going to be different like it's going to be a new day and it's like no everyone knows that that's already in the share price everyone mm -hmm. thinks about it everyone's discussing it that means it's in the share price already mm -hmm. so that being said i see that the business has the capacity to be reasonably profitable i won't say very profitable but has the capacity to be reasonably profitable and i didn't think that beforehand mm -hmm. i right. will also caveat that i also caveat that it appears to me that the member growth is slowing down this is uh, i also had a look at your article um and this quarter right now q2 mm -hmm. the number of members was up 44% year over year and that is the a deceleration it's been a consistent deceleration over time now there's a big question mark why is the uh, it's a relatively new business why is there a, a deceleration in the adoption of customers i'm very much focused on the customer adoption curve i often say this to investors if you're looking at a business it's more important to look at the customer adoption curve rather than the revenue growth rate the revenue growth rate can be up can be down things can happen you know you can spike it one way you can mm -hmm. there are things that can happen but the customer adoption curve is really really important and this is decelerating now my first question is why is this decelerating could it be the case that with interest rates going up the appeal of using a sofi versus some of its competitors is not that big remember that they are offering to depositors approximately four percent and they were like one of the only ones offering four percent it could be now that some of the other banks are also because you know interest rates have come up you know uh, they could be some other banks are also offering something approximating that so there's there's less of a divergence between uh, sofi and their competitors that could be one reason so i don't know but that's one reason. the other thing that i think about is if hypothetically the customer adoption curve is starting to slow down and management is you know is relatively aware of this as i'm sure they are they may find that okay we don't need to be as aggressively uh, reinvesting into the business maybe we can kind of take our foot off the pedal a little bit and show some more profitability this would be a good point in time to kind of show that we can be quite profitable get people kind of excited about us again so that's why i said yes the stock was up but i don't read that much into that it's always a good indication when the stock is up obviously stock is up versus down that being said it will happen to be on a day that uh, high-risk stocks were very very aggressive on that day anyway so mm -hmm. that kind of modeled the picture 
And on the next day, the share price came back down. So right away, I'm saying to myself, mm, you know, it's, mm. it, I wouldn't read too much into that fact. You know, there could be something there. But I'm also of the opinion that, okay, maybe things are not as bad as I, as I said in the past. <clears throat> that being said, when I've been bearish, this, like the stock has been basically stuck at around about $9, $8 for about a year. So like it was a reasonably... It was a fair bearish call at the time not to invest in this business and uh, I, I think that came out to fruition but there's no problem in you know re-evaluating a hypothesis with the passage of time you know when the facts change i change my mind right so uh so here i'm starting to say okay there's a bit more to this story and it could be interesting uh but i just not as bearish basically i'm kind of like on the fence right now and i think that um it really depends very much about how the next couple of weeks and months in terms of inflation starts to percolate. Because hypothetically, this you know, hypothetical scenario, let's pretend, mm -hmm. I don't know, let's pretend that oil prices start to come back up a little bit, natural gas can start to come back up a bit. All of a sudden, what was looking like inflation coming down, it actually ends up being a bit more sticky. And this is, this could change the dynamics quite a bit because ultimately the whole, um, bull case for SoFi is that as interest rates get cut in 2024, you know, that could, could allow the multiple to expand slightly. But mm -hmm. if interest rates remain higher for longer, then all of a sudden you're kind of, okay, uh, inflation is still an issue. The Fed can't really have the tools to kind of cut uh, the interest rate. And then this kind of muddles the picture somewhat. So that's why I'm kind of like mm -hmm. on the fence. It's not like, it, it's a bit kind of 50-50 can go from here. Yeah, absolutely. You make some good points. And I think there's a bit of truth to both things you said. On the one hand, uh, you know, yes, that profitability picture improving, I think, kind of shifted uh, investor sentiment a little bit. But also, there's some element of, you know, something going on a little bit behind the scenes. I think some some options calls or something, because like you said, the stock went up 20% on the day. It's now lost about lost about 9% yesterday. I'm looking at it now. It's down 2.8%. So it's actually given up a lot of those gains. And, you know, I mean... Well, why do these things happen? I mean, personally, I like to use technical analysis. So this is kind of a pullback that I was looking for a little bit. But, you know, uh, like you said, I think there's a little bit of both of those things. I mean, I like the long-term story for SoFi. I think that at the very least, you know, you need um, some some companies to innovate a little bit in the in the fintech space. And there's definitely some some wiggle room there. So, so we'll see. But I wanted to get into what you were just talking about. Uh, that talk about inflation, because that is something that I, I've been talking a lot about, that idea that, you know, inflation could persist. And the big catalyst really is, uh, well, I'd, I'd say maybe kind of two kind of correlated, which is, you know, higher oil slash energy prices and maybe also kind of correlated with a, a lower dollar. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, because, you know, we have seen um, oil really give us quite a quite a strong rally in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, uh, so the energy sector obviously kind of coming back to life inflation expectations you know maybe coming back um what are what are your thoughts so i think it's quite ironic that this whole idea of the uh, uh, of joe biden's uh, ira bill the infrastructure reduction act mm -hmm. is essentially to provide stimulus right. towards this renewable transition mm -hmm. re renewable energy transition now the why do i say it's ironic is because at this moment in time electricity in the US, about 20% comes from renewables, okay? The game is to get that, let's say, 60 or 70 maybe percent 
-hmm. coming from renewables. Just for your viewers, renewables typically mean wind turbines and solar panels, okay? Now, it's at approximately 20% after plowing trillions of dollars into this, okay? And estimates for this year, I think around the world, not only the US, admittedly, but around the world is for somewhere in the ballpark of $5 trillion being invested in renewables uh, to this whole infra the whole infrastructure to make the renewables happen, okay? Mm -hmm. But just sticking with the US for now, okay? If you get 20% of your energy from renewables, after they've been on this journey towards the energy transition for let's say 20 years, to get it to 20%, to go from 20 to 40%, that's a doubling, okay? And to double that, you need to be able to have double the infrastructure. So I said it was ironic because to actually get much more of the energy coming from renewables, you need to actually invest in a lot of manufacturing and construction. So that's actually gonna stimulate perhaps some uh, unforeseen aspects of the inflation. Now, just sticking with this whole energy idea. So 20% comes from renewables, okay? So that's not a big thing, but to get it to 40%, then it starts to become interesting. Why is it becoming interesting? Because renewables, by definition, as I said at the start, this is wind turbines and solar panels. By definition, these are variable loads, okay? So it might be windy, it might not be, it might be sunny, it might not be. So the getting that energy, that variable energy, may cause some problems because at this moment in time, it's like a very reliable base load. Okay. Mm -hmm. You get that energy coming through. You just you may burn some natural gas. So you, not so much in the US coal, but you could burn some coal, uh, nuclear power, um, you know, so it's quite a stable and predictable energy. Now, if you add to the whole grid this variable input, it causes a lot of problems. Let's say hypothetically, for the sake of discussion, that uh, um, Google is running on some massive uh, data center, some AI technology that's really, really power hungry. They mm. need to know they're going to have access to that power like reliably, no questions asked. It just needs to come in very high intensity. And for, for the grid, they're going to have this kind of variable load coming in too, which may or may not happen because the weather may be good or maybe bad or whatever. It causes a lot of problems. So you need to build out that grid. And just to complicate things even further, often is the case that that renewable energy is made, let's say, away from the city center. So you have a problem here that you need to transport that energy, let's say, for example, offshore wind to the capital or to, uh, mm -hmm. let's say, a large data center. So you need to build out all that grid to be able to incorporate or embrace that whole uh, variable load of energy. So there's a lot of complications here to get that energy to go from 20% to uh, of renewables, to, let's say 40 and beyond. So all this Infrastructure Reduction Act, it's supposed to kind of, you know, reduce the inflation, mm -hmm. but actually may cause a lot of problems because the irony was that it was when energy prices were really, really high and everyone's like, okay, we need to bring energy down and that will bring down inflation. But all this construction could actually end up rising quite substantially the amount um, of uh, inflation. That being said, it's one thing for us here to be discussing um, the energy transition, but to actually get boots on the ground and the regulation and all the materials 
and to build that is going to take time okay so it's it's one thing to say okay the energy transition is happening blah 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 but to actually have it happen and be able to get the energy from renewables could take several several years mm -hmm. so we could be talking about a, a lot about getting energy from renewables and everyone wants to talk about the energy transition but this could be out to the end of this decade so the energy transition at its core is the displacement of thermal coal which has a, a lot of carbon with something that has less carbon mm -hmm. natural gas has approximately 40 to 45 percent less carbon intensity than coal so that's an obvious what they call a, a bridge uh, fuel because it's it's it has a little bit less carbon and then coal so it's it's it like it's the default go-to mm -hmm. but at the same time the demand for natural gas continues to go higher because they got evs so mm -hmm. uh, if you have in your house uh, it, to charge an ev rather than going to let's say uh, uh, a pump and get uh, oil into the car with uh, uh, the, the way to do it would be to charge the, e the ev for your house you need more charge to come mm -hmm. in and you may or may not also in the next coming years have a heat pump in your house mm -hmm. so that's yet again another source of energy that's going to rely on natural gas and then just to just to make things even more difficult in europe the price of natural gas is approximately five times more expensive than in the us so there's a need for lng cargoes to be shipped out of uh, the us towards europe because and Europe and Asia, because it's such a large discrepancy. Now, no one is really talking about this because last winter was very mild. This summer in the northern hemisphere, uh, it's been really not that not as strong as many people foresaw. Uh, that being said, this the southern parts of Europe are just blazing hot, but the northern parts of Europe haven't really been that strong as people had expected. So there was a very uh, warm winter and a very cool summer. And so the, the demand for natural gas hasn't been that strong for people to run on air conditioners and heaters, but that doesn't mean that that's the status quo. We can't really be relying on the weather uh, for, for a medium to long-term uh, horizon. So you're gonna have to build out more LNG cargos, so uh, LNG terminals. So starting 2024, the back end of 2024, there's gonna be a lot more um, terminals being built that are gonna be able to export volumes of natural gas away mm -hmm. from the US to the rest of the world. So there is a lot of different ways that I believe people are not really thinking about the demand for natural gas over the next um, 12 months. Now, just finally, what's really interesting about this whole idea is that once a lot of these operators, they're particularly in, um, in the US, a lot of these operators in the Permian Basin, they have the cost of production of their natural gas is approximately $2 to $2.50. Ontario Resources that I own uh, is at $2.50. Now, they are trying to bring that down slightly to around $2.40. So you, the way it works is that you get a lot of operating leverage in the business because once natural gas goes beyond, let's say, $2.80, $3, $3.50, all that pricing power just drops to the bottom in terms of free cash flow for the business. So certain businesses in the Permian Basin have very, very strong balance sheets. Ontario, I believe, has one of the best balance sheets. And because they have such a strong balance sheet, 
once the price of natural gas gets to around three dollar fifty, you get a lot mm. more free cash flow. And that free cash flow, rather than being going to the balance sheet, is able to be returned to shareholders. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them are kind of similarly priced at approximately five to six times forward free cash flow. But if you actually see, look at their balance sheets, there are quite a lot of differences. So I think that this very, very compelling aspect to invest right now in uh, natural gas. And I think as well that um, you cannot really displace the amount of energy that you get from oil, particularly when it comes to, let's say, shipping or the airplane industry. But aside from those two immovable sectors, I think that beyond that, when you look at towards industrials, when you're looking towards residentials, there's going to be a lot more demand for natural gas in mm -hmm. the next 12 months to, four, to two years than people are really thinking about right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you know, you know, I love that you're a natural gas bull. I'm also a natural gas bull. It's very interesting because you brought up something that I actually meant to ask you. And that is the idea of that divergence between prices in the US and Europe, right? And I actually go ahead and disclose right now that, you know, the other day, a couple of weeks ago, I bought some UNG. So that's the United States natural gas. And the thesis behind that being that eventually, right, we're going to have to see um, those those prices converge, right? Is that something that you believe? What kind of timeline would you see for that? What would be one question I have for you? And then we kind of already answered that. But then the other question would be, you talk about those uh, this transportation system that's coming online. Would you say that that's a good way of investing in natural gas as well? Are there some opportunities there in, in terms of investing in, in these types of companies? So from my memory, uh, the UNG, UNG, is um, a forward derivative. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a bit more complicated. That sounds like an, an extra layer of complexity. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that you know, you can have an idea. The way I say it is like this: so you can have an idea in the market, mm -hmm. right? It, you know, you need that idea to be able to be expressed in a way, mm -hmm. and that expression, that period of time you hold the instrument, may not align with the market's uh, inclination to see things your way. And mm -hmm. so, I I personally haven't gone that route. I think that uh, investing in the producers is a, a less frills base, but uh, I think it's uh, I, the way I'm trying to invest for, for mm -hmm. the members of my deep value returns community is I'm not trying to go from zero to hero. I'm trying to provide stability to the portfolio. So I, so there is a natural going to be over the next two, three years, an arbitrage where you get the natural gas from the US to Asia and Europe. There's mm -hmm. going to be a bit of a conversion there. I don't think it's going to erode fully, but there's going to be a bit of a, a conversion there. But I believe that investing in the producers could be a, a better way. And it, there's not a right or wrong way. Just when it comes to investing, you need to do something that aligns with your temperament. So for me, I try to invest in businesses that have very strong balance sheets and that you can stay without investment for at least 12 months because in a short period of time, many things can happen. Mm -hmm. So I, the way that I always, particularly when it comes to commodities, just pick out the businesses that have the cleanest balance sheet because you don't want any question marks of like say, oh, you know, I need to send this capital back to uh, pay for uh, some debt or whatever. You don't want any of that complication, okay? Because you don't know, things can turn sour really, really quickly and you don't want to be able, you don't want to have to be selling, you know, at a distressed price. You just want to have things on your side as much as possible because 
ultimately investing is a game of probabilities so it's really important that you start with a, a good option there like a good balance sheet so that things can happen that are not what you thought at the start mm-hmm. and you can stay with it uh, i also think that as more and more countries particularly in let's say india and china start to move away from coal at some point there's going to be more demand for uh, natural gas now the irony is everyone thinks about china in terms of it being a heavy polluter but actually they're much more uh, in the front of this whole energy transition and they have made significant investments in the past several months to get guaranteed lng cargoes to go to them not mm-hmm. really from the us as you might imagine but you know from equinor that's in europe is no way uh, you know so they're really really aggressively investing to get hold of this whole natural gas because they're buying into this idea that yeah we are very much about nuclear they're super we haven't discussed nuclear on this call today but they're very much investing in nuclear they're very much investing in the whole energy transmission in mm-hmm. terms of solar panels they're really right doing everything right but they're also saying okay yeah 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 but let's not just forget about natural gas. Let's go for all energy sources so mm-hmm. that we are not really being left behind in any kind of unforeseen scenario. So I very, very much believe that over the right now, the biggest energy source in the world tends to be oil. But I really believe that we're going to start to see natural gas take some market share away from oil. Now, the oil will still continue to have its uses, as I said in freighting things around heavy bulky things you can't really put let's say a boat with a lot of natural gas it just it just wouldn't work and you can't really store it with let's say mm-hmm. like batteries like a battery operated boat because 50 percent of the boat will be taken up with those lithium batteries it just doesn't make any sense what are you shipping then you're just shipping the the, the batteries from place a to point b right. so i really really believe that you're going to see a natural gas become like the default go-to um, primary source of energy. So I think that the, the, the outlook for, for natural gas is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, obviously I agree. Um, just back to my question, you know, are there any companies I mean, that you think that, that could be interesting in terms of, uh, you know, developing that network of transportation so, to transport the LNG? So the one, yeah. So the one that, um, the, the one that I'm looking at, but I, I, um, but I, I it's not, so in my portfolio, I have quite a few energy uh, businesses, mm-hmm. and I don't want to have all my eggs in one basket. But right. one one interesting idea that I think is Schneer, the ticket is LNG, and mm-hmm. I think that this is a really, really good and well-operated business. And the reason why I find it so interesting is because they are investing in what they call corpus cruci free. I think that comes in around about... Uh, 2025 so it's a large lng terminal but compared to let's say some of the other ones like tellurian or next decade and um, they've they don't need to raise capital from uh, outside shareholders they're predominantly self-funding mm-hmm. and this takes a lot of risk off and a lot of investors kind of want to go towards something like a tellurian that may or may not go like to the moon but i think that investing is about really going for those bets that are more likely than not to work out rather than going for something that there's a 50 or 50 chance that it can go to the moon. Really try to go for something that's kind of safer. Mm-hmm. And I think investing in Chenier, um, I think that's a really good way to play it. Uh, I personally would not be uh, recommending some of these uh, smaller ones that uh, still are in the process of getting 
FID um, final investment decision. So yeah, um, I think that uh, that would be my go-to uh, investment uh, if I was to recommend somebody. But I don't have a position in it, so yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, you gotta you gotta invest in in stuff that you're comfortable with. You know, I like to think that you know my service. I I offer the chance to to get a little bit of both. You know, I, I like to talk about it as you know you're, you're filling two. You have two buckets, right? One one would have your like you say, strong balance sheet, good, good cash flow kind of stocks, and then you know you, you can play around with some money. I think you know you can, uh, you can definitely go go for those moonshots sometimes. You know, got got to live a little. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, but, sure, for sure. But Michael, you know, I can't thank you enough for for coming on the show. Always, always great having you on. Uh, hearing your thoughts on tech earnings and and always energy as well. You know, um, and again, thanks for coming on. Really enjoyed it, and uh, hope you'll come again. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, Michael. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.